Is that a little bit better for mic volume? I turned it up. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think you'll you'll also when you talk you'll be. I get a little bit louder. Yeah, more. Uh, tour de force. Yes. That's a thing. Performance. Yes. Performance voice. Per what the er my gosh, it's a performance verse. Oh my gosh. So glad we have that recorded now. Yeah, hey, anytime. Uh, the reality of just us being us. Um, uh, can we start the episode this way? <laughs> just do the Maybe, intro. Just, like, just go. Do the intro right the now. Intro. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. Go. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. Uh, we are here doing a, another class breakdown. This week we are doing um, Sorcerers to follow up on Wizards because there is a lot of confusion between the two, even though they are two very different classes. Um, society and fiction over the years has kind of blended what we expect from them in our brains, which is a little different than what Wizards gives us within the framework of D&D. And so we thought we'd bookend our last episode on the Wizard class with the Sorcerer class this week. Yeah, and it, it doesn't help that sorcerer is oftentimes uses generic term for magic user. And so, yeah, there's a lot of confusion with wizards and sorcerers. And so um, not only is, does D&D &D 5e make a clear delineation, mechanically they work a little bit differently, but there are a lot of similarities. So it's it's just one of those things. They're, they're not quite as, as versatile as a wizard, but they are just as, if not more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know when we talked about wizards, one of the things we mentioned is that there's the very clear concept out there. If you think of a wizard, you think of Harry Potter, right? right. And we always joke, Harry Potter is not a wizard. He's, He's a, a sorcerer. sorcerer. Um, and so let's break that down because that is actually still a little bit confusing because what do they do? They go to school. And so like, I understand the difference, but I think that is just such a great example to start Sorcerer with. <laughs> exactly. And conversely, the Sorcerer Supreme, Dr. Strange, is a wizard, not a sorcerer. Yeah. Right. Because anyone can learn how to do that. <laughs> just go to school. Yeah, he went and he studied. Yeah. And do your, you know, astral projection Adderall and don't sleep and just hit the books hard. Um, so, uh, don't, don't do astral projection kids. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So the, the, the main difference is we joked before that wizards are the arcane Ivy league, uh, whereas sorcerers are, um, magical trust fund kids. Uh, they get their power from genetics, from parentage by what's in their blood. So, their progenitor could have been, you know, a genie or could have been uh, a polymorphed or shapeshift dragon or something of this nature. Um, or, you know, angels are in their bloodline from way back in the day. And so it's something innate and just natural inside of them. And they just get better at tapping into that inner wellspring of magic. And so- right where wizards are affecting the magical weave of magical worlds outside of them and playing with the source code of reality, sorcerers are playing with that magic that comes from inside them, like that terrible movie trope, the magic was inside you all along. 
And with sorcerers, it's literally true. Right. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction because anybody like in D&D world, right? We're not talking about players. We're talking about characters. Right. Anybody can become a wizard. Yeah, pretty much. Anybody. But nobody except a sorcerer can become a sorcerer because it's hereditary. You have to be born and it has to be in your blood. You can't just go study or say, I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to become a sorcerer. You cannot. So if you right. multi-class into a sorcerer as a player, what's going to happen there is that your character just had untapped bloodlines that you never knew about until they blossomed later in life, right? It's not so much yeah. that you just decided I'm going to become a sorcerer that just suddenly unfolded itself through the, your character's right. arc. Meta around the table, the players have decided, hey, I want to be a sorcerer now. But in the game, in the story and the narrative, yes, you realize that all along you were the chosen one or whatever. And, you know, if that doesn't work with your backstory, be a warlock instead. It's kind of the same uh, <laughs> thing in that quest where like, you really just want to be a sorcerer if you can't and then some otherworldly being says hey kid uh you want some spell slots and opens up the trench coat and there's you know eldritch blast inside okay that got weird quick yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty par for the course i think by now uh, um yeah i think a couple other examples because i feel like this can be niched very well a, a different example i was thinking of and i'm curious if you'd agree you could actually classify them further but if you're talking broad spectrum i was almost thinking that like superheroes yes. so like batman would be a wizard in this overarching sure. thing a, you could classify him as a different class more aptly oh, but he would listen, be a wizard batman is the hardest superhero to turn into D, &D <laughs> ever like some people will argue artificer. Some people argue that they're paladin. He's a paladin. Some people argue, uh, obviously, a rogue. But I get what you're saying through intense yeah. study and uh, he training. He has no. Right. He has no magical supernatural capabilities. Whereas, like Spider-Man would be con like conceptually more of like a sorcerer, right? There was something about him. Obviously, it came from in this case not a dragon but a spider. Yeah. But there was something about his DNA that gave him these powers right. that he had to figure out how to use and to harness. Right. And so conceptually, I think that that could be a different way to look at that sorcerer. Yeah. And class even too. more specifically, the X Men any of the mutants 100%. of the Marvel universe, this is exactly totally what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, that's where it's just, it's not Maybelline, they were born with it, right? So that's where the power comes from. Uh, uh, to think about another example from media, I think the TV show Merlin, the way that he uses his magic is he was just kind of born with it. And mm -hmm. they call him a druid, but that's not really what they're talking about. And he, along the whole course of the show, he's figuring out what it means to be a spellcaster, not because he was trained, but because he just had something inside of him that was too big to be ignored and too big to be left dormant. Uh, and so that version of Merlin from the TV show, which is really good, uh, he's very clearly, I think, uh, portrayed as a sorcerer in D&D terms. Yeah, and I like that we brought that up too, because I think it could funnel in a little bit too when you're developing a character's background. Yeah. You know, especially when you talked about the X-Men, historically in that that uh, lore, in that world, X-Men are not particularly liked, right? They're these kind mm -hmm. of freaks, if you will. Like, why can you do that? That's not normal. Go shun yourself away with other freaks like you. Yeah. Um, because people don't like things they don't understand. And so, like, 
it being the embodiment of raw magic is something that no one could really understand. And so you could play your sorcerer as just being this, um, you know, almost like angelic, like revered individual, or potentially their backstory was really terrible because they were shunned from their family. Maybe they were hidden away. There's just so many different facets to how you could present that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a great concept for the backstory but I, I tend to think, at least in most of the kind of worlds I play in, once a, a character hits adulthood, not many people are like questioning what is your source of magic. They just, they might also make the common mistake of, oh, they're a powerful wizard. And the fact that they're mm -hmm. a, you know, the fact that they are a sorcerer, not a wizard, most people aren't going to care at all. Uh, and so maybe there's less of that um, fear, but absolutely a, a character with the backstory of where they had to hide their power and they oh had my to gosh, hide reminds what me they of had. Jack Jack from the Incredibles. Yes. That's like, that's the perfect example of a child sorcerer that everyone's terrified by, except it's parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And even then, uh, maybe, uh, but I think you should be scared of Jack Jack. That's, that's a whole heaping helping of problems right there, but Jack Jack's the best. Right. So yeah. hopefully that helps clarify a little bit about what is a sorcerer? How are they different from wizards? Um, you know, I think that in a lot of ways, Jedi are kind of like sorcerers in a yeah. sense, because again, that magic use, you know, it's all around us. It surrounds us. Right. You know, right. You, you kind of get back to that idea of like, it's something that just exists that you have to find within yourself that has to be within you to begin with. And you can't just go out and find a magic book that you can mm -hmm. read or you can't talk to someone who's like magically now you're a this um, yeah it's it's much more nuanced it really is i think even um the wizards in the wizards of Earthsea um are very much more akin to D, D sorcerers than they are wizards yeah they go off and do training but you have to have that spark in you in in the first place for it to work so another good example there, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's to... just like Hogwarts, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like you, people might argue, well, it sounds like a wizard because they're going and they're learning about magic at school. But Harry could clearly do things that he didn't even know he could do his entire life. Um, you know, Hermione did not have any official like exposure to anything wizard related, but she still right. had that spark inside of her that caused her to become a witch. So. Yeah. They do have to study and they have to hone their craft, but that spark has to exist on the forefront of any of that. Yeah, exactly. It's all about what's inside for the for the sorcerer. So with that understanding and clarification about what a sorcerer is and where they come from, let's take a look at building a level one sorcerer, some of the you know hit die that you get, just that that makeup of what you expect to take with you um, adventuring level one. Yeah, so mechanically, uh, they're very much like wizards in the sense that they have a D6 uh, for their hit die um, and the usual progression, you know, max die for level one plus constitution modifier, da da da. Um, also, not proficient in any armor, although there are some subclasses that kind of get around this. Um, they're also proficient in daggers, darts, slings, quarter staves, and light crossbows, which is kind of nice. Um, no tools, but they are uh, proficient in the saving throws for constitution and charisma. And then they can choose two skills, arcana, deception, insight, intimidation, persuasion, and religion. And that list is a little bit different than, um, well, quite a bit different than what we see with the wizard class, 
mostly because they are going to be casting their spells in a much different way using a different attribute so uh that's kind of the basic stuff and then you know you can start off with a simple weapon or crossbow a focus or component pouch engineering pack or explorers pack and two daggers so that's kit for the build there for the kind of the passive stuff right and um a big thing that's different again from wizards is there's no spell book there's no spell book yeah yeah wizards are the only ones that have a spell book with a small asterisk but we'll get to that when we talk about warlocks <laughs> uh we'll talk about that later it's our tagline mm-hmm. we haven't done it in a while t-shirts uh, coming soon um <laughs> yeah and i like too that you know sorcerers are different in that they channel they're one of two classes that channel their magic from charisma um in the Such as that no bards? no warlocks do oh, too as well as well as paladins Oh, yeah, okay. Right, so there's actually a lot. So charisma might be actually more of the common one. It is, with a second place of being wisdom, and then a third, a distant third of intelligence. And it got, it only had one class that used it, wizard, and then when we got the uh, artificer, we got a second class. But yeah, there's there's actually, it's more common to cast through charisma, weirdly, which is a new thing for 5e. In the old versions, charisma never really got used a lot. It was it was almost mm-hmm. always the dump stat. And in fact, I, I believe the term was invented for that purpose. Um, but uh, they they corrected, and some would say maybe overcorrected in fifth edition to really give you a lot of things to do with charisma. But um, I think now, what six seven years out, the dust is settled, and it feels pretty good. So when we're talking about spells that sorcerers are going to know or use again it's significantly different from our wizards because there's not you don't have to prepare stuff right you have access to this raw magic at well it's kind of like a grab bag Mm -hmm. um where it's used a lot differently right yes so um this is where i was mentioning earlier about the lack of versatility where a wizard can have a large repertoire of spells that can only prepare a certain number of them per day and then only use them uh, if they have spell slots for them, which is typically a smaller number. With sorcerers, they learn a spell and they just know that spell, but they can't swap out every day like a wizard or even like a druid or a cleric can what they know is what they know and so it's kind of easier this way actually it's a great you know starting out um casting class uh for new players because you know the spells you know and if you have slots go ahead and cast it um but uh they learn four cantrips at level one um and then uh they get let me think here um uh, yeah, there's a chart here that says the number of spells known, um, which just goes from two to three, four, five. So this goes up by one every level, starting with two spells known and two spell slots. So you could cast one each spell once or one of the spells twice. So that's kind of nice. Um, that's really straightforward that way. Um, and there's no like calculation based off your charisma of how to like learn new spells and all those kinds of stuff. You just, you consult the chart there in the player's handbook and you're ready to go. That's kind of it. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just like any spellcaster, you've got your cantrips in there. You can ritual mm -hmm. cast, right? None of that changes class to class when you're talking about spellcasters. Um, it's it's more just again this nuance of like prepared, not prepared, known. Some of that, what you can choose to cast off of your spell list or not for that particular right day, you know, in in the game, not session, because there might be multiple days. Right. Just to make now, things confusing. The other nice thing is, is that whenever you do get a new level in Sorcerer, uh, you can change out one of the spells you know for a different Sorcerer spell from any of the source books. Um, as long as you have a spell slot big enough to cast it. So if you were like all into like doing all fire spells and then you realize at level three, you're like, yeah, that's not going super great for me. I need some versatility. You could swap one out. So you do get a chance to make some changes, but not like wizards do. It's, it's both easier and harder to get new spells. Yeah, just kind of different two sides of the same coin in a lot right. of ways. Yeah. And like we said before, they use charisma to cast. Same calculation as always. You know, the spell DCs are eight plus proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. Attack bonus is proficiency plus charisma modifier. You can use an arcane focus like always or a component's pouch, but that's kind of it. Their spell section is probably one of the simplest and shortest of all the casters, especially for the arcane casters. So it's, yeah, it's really straightforward. Pick a spell and you can cast it. So let's look at, there's a little bit more to level one, but we're going to circle back around to that. Mm -hmm. Let's look at a level two caster, because once you move up to level two, you unlock something called sorcery points, um, which is its own unique mechanic that's specific just for a sorcerer that I think I want to unpack a little bit so people know what those are and how to use them. Yeah. So you want to talk about the, the points now? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so basically, uh, there's a feature at level two called Font of Magic, which again, harkens back to this like wellspring of magical ability inside the individual. Um, and that is kind of translated in the game as sorcery points, which is really kind of the bread and butter of the sorcery class, of the sorcerer class. And what it lets you do is a couple of things. So this base level at level two, you can use um, a spell slot to get more points or use points to get more spell slots. There's a conversion table in the description in the player's handbook. It's not as hard as it sounds, but um, it, instead of having arcane recovery like the wizards do where they can take a short rest and get a certain number of slots back mm -hmm. here you can just uh use those points to get more slots which is kind of how especially early on you'll end up using that because you only have two slots at level one and only have three first level spell slots at level two so you're gonna gas out pretty fast if you didn't have this mechanic mm -hmm. um and the cool thing is, is that you can transform points into a spell slot as a bonus action on your turn. So if you're in combat, you can do this on the go, as opposed to having to wait for a short rest like the wizard does. Um, so uh, basically two points will give you one spell slot, three points will give you a second spell slot, or you can trade a first level spell slot for two points. Um, if I remember correctly, let me double check if I got that right. Yes, it works both uh, back and forth both ways. Um, and then how many how many sorcery points do you get per level? 
Right. So you get two sorcery points um, when you gain this at level two. And then I'm pretty sure it is, yeah, it's here on the chart and it progresses the same way as, uh, you know, known spells basically, where you gain one new point uh, for every level. So you'll, uh, you start at level two with two and at level three, you have three and maxing out with 20 points at level 20. So it's super easy to remember. Just look at your level in this class. That's how many points you have. Right. And, and there's other classes that have features uh, that are akin to this in a lot of ways. There's, um, you know, like, uh, uh, what is it for fighters? I want to say action surge, but that's not the right thing. Um, um, well, they have superiority die for the battle master. Um, right. Monks so, get key points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is just the sorcerer's version of that mechanic within D&D, yes. essentially, if it if it helps to cast uh, like categorize it that way mentally. It's not something brand new, it's just something that's already existed in a lot of other classes. They're just putting a new facade on it for like sweetening it up for this, this class. Yeah, yeah, just think of it as a pool of uh, expendable or consumable resources that let you do cool things. Um, but level three is where it gets really interesting and where um, I think a lot of the love for the sorcerer comes from is when you get into meta magic. Um, so basically meta magic is this thing where you can be kind of tricksy with your spells when you use sorcery points to do one of these things off the menu. Uh, so basically you get to choose two meta magic options uh, at the third level, and then you gain one more at 10th and one more at 17th. So you'll never have more than four unless a feed or something else changes that for you. Um, but some of these are really, really cool. And I, I don't know if do you want me to like not go through all of them, but kind of hit the highlights or. Yeah. Okay. Um, where basically you could do things like spend this number of points and your range is doubled or you can reroll dice on damage spells so that you possibly get a higher sum total. You can, you can make the, range, the, the duration longer. Um, you can give uh, someone disadvantage on a saving throw due to a spell, even if they have resistance already, like you can just give them disadvantage. Um, but the two favorite ones that I will hit a little bit harder are Quicken Spell and Twinned Spell because they help you to, I don't want to say break, but exploit the action economy. There's only <laughs> so many things you can do on your turn unless you're a sorcerer or you have these uh, meta magic options from a feat or something. So what Quicken Spell does is it lets you take a spell that has a casting uh, time of one action. You can spend two sorcery points, regardless of its level, BT dubs, and change it to a bonus action instead. So if you wanted to attack with your action or breathe fire because you're a dragonborn with your action, as a bonus action, you could still cast that spell you wanted to do, which is kind of neat. Um, this does get into what um, there's a general rule about spells being cast as a bonus action that I think we should talk about really briefly because there is a misconception in the D&D community that you can't cast two, uh, two spells um, in the same turn. And that's not true. There's elements of truth in it, but that's not really true. What the general rule is, is 
if you cast a spell uh, as a bonus action, you only thing you can cast with your action is a cantrip. That's it. So if you had something like action surge or something else that give you another action, then you could cast two level spells with those two actions and it never even touches the the casting as a bonus action mm. question, right? So you could still do something like quicken spell, fireball, and then on your and then with your action cast firebolt or something else as long as it's a cantrip. So it gives you more things that you can do. Alternatively, twin spell is kind of fun because you can take a spell that targets only one creature and doesn't have a range of self and you can spend another a number of sorcery points equal to that spell's level, right? So um, if you wanted to cast, uh, we can't do fireball, but what we could do is like Ray of Frost. Um, and Ray of Frost is, uh, what is a cantrip, right? So uh, that's like level zero, but we count that as one. So we would say, okay, you can spend one sorcery point and Ray of Frost now has two beams that can be used to hit a second creature in the range with the same spell. And mm. it has to be a second creature, not the same creature. And uh, you'll always spend at least one point. Now, what's really fun is when you start getting into stuff like, I'm going to use Quicken Spell and Twin Spell at the same time. And also, you know, that kind of ridiculousness. Uh, now, the tricky thing with twin spells when you're basically, you have a target of one and you want to turn it into a target of two, there's some things that you can't do that with because it has to be basically incapable of targeting more than one creature at that uh, spell's current level. So magic missile doesn't work because it shoots three motes of energy at one to three targets. Scorching Ray can hit is like three rays that can hit one to three targets. So that doesn't work. But Ray of Frost, Chromatic Orb, Firebolt, all of those would totally count. Uh, and so area of effect spells, probably not going to work. Um, uh, you just have to really kind of think about it beforehand, but there you go. So these can be layered, right? You don't have to pick just one to do per turn. Let me double check because I've heard it both ways. Let me think. Um, Okay, so there is a general rule with metamagic that says you can only use one metamagic magic option on a spell when you cast it unless otherwise noted. So what people will typically do um, is with quicken spell and twin spell is they'll use quicken spell for their bonus action, then whatever they're casting for their action, which is a different spell now, they'll use twin spell. So now they're hitting three things in their turn and then they can still move and stuff. So it gives them a chance to do a lot more with a lot little, a lot less, especially at low level, like third level. So there's some really nasty builds and I've made some of them uh, of sorcerers and what they can do in a single turn that is really honestly kind of decimating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I imagine. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, so when you start, you pick two of these, right? You don't get the whole list. You yeah, two, two of them, yeah. And then you get, you get to pick more as you continue to level up at certain yeah, levels, right? two more, 10th level and 17th level. Okay, so it's one each. So you can get a total of four out of this list Correct. by the time that you're a 17th level character. Exactly. Um, and then um, the rest of the stuff for sorcerers is pretty straightforward. You have your ASIs at uh, level four, eight, 12, 16, and 19, pretty standard. 
and then they get their capstone feature at level 20 called Sorceress Restoration. At 20th level, you regain four sorcery points whenever you finish a short or uh, finish a short rest. Normally, they only come back um, on a long rest, but on a short rest, you just get four back. Yeah, and, and like as we just talked about, that can be that can give you a huge advantage yes. on your turns because you're going to use those to do your meta magic to do a lot of other things. Right, and this has no bearing on your ability as a bonus action or whenever you want outside of combat to give up some of your spell slots to get more points. Uh, you just can't have more points than your maximum. Right. So, so yeah. that's that's a level uh, one through one to 20 baseline sorcerer. Right. No subclasses, just straight off the bat. Um, and there's a couple of cool things that Tasha's introduced into that mix as well, but none of them are really earth shattering. The spell list gets a little bit bigger. There's a couple of new meta magic options. You can switch out some things whenever you have an ASI. Uh, the only thing I really of note is something called magical guidance at fifth level. Uh, when you make an ability check that fails, you can spend a sorcery point to re-roll it. Uh, and you have to use the new roll no matter what. I mean, that's so, pretty standard, so. Exactly. So basically you give yourself a little bit of a luck point on an ability check. So yeah, it's kind of nice. Okay, so now that we have that overview, let's mm -hmm. rewind to level one sorcerer because level one sorcerer is actually where you get your subclass in the sorcerer class. Most of the classes, not all, but most classes get them at level three. Sorcerer is different. And you can kind of tell even from our conversation up until this point, why? Because there's not a lot else going on. The majority yes. of your benefits are gonna come from that sorceress origin, as they call it, the subclass that you get for playing in a, a sorcerer. Um, there's two of them that are presented in the player's handbook, but then there are a couple of other options between some of the other source books as well that we're going to unpack a little bit. Right. And what's notable too here is that you get your subclass here called into a sorcerer's origin at level one, and there's and most classes will get it at level three. There's only two other classes that get it earlier. Wizards, interestingly, get it at level two, but clerics get theirs at level one as well, which is kind of fun. But... I feel like the meta magic at level three, where usually you get your subclass, is where the real, pardon the pun, magic happens <laughs> that most people are looking for when they play sorcerers. And so it's almost like they split the subclass up a little bit. You get some mm. base stuff at level one, and then the rest of the really good juicy stuff at level three. Uh, but strictly speaking, yeah level one you get your subclasses and uh yeah you're right uh player's handbook only has two which is a uh, um a little unusual um some most of them had like two or three so it's a little little uh thin in the player's handbook but you have the draconic uh origin or, or draconic bloodline which is you know really nice uh keeping with the nomenclature and then wild magic yeah, so let's unpack both of those first, since they're kind of like your standard run-of-the-mill like sorcerer classes, and then we can look at some of the additional class subclasses that were brought in and offered with some of the other books. So let's start with the Draconic Bloodline, um, because this one's really cool. We actually haven't talked too much about dragons up until this point. We did the episode on Dragonborns. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of been it. And a lot of what comes from your Draconic Bloodline has to do with with dragons, right? With the lore yes. of dragons within the world of D&D. &D. 
Yeah, exactly. And dragons are awesome, and the bloodline is really cool. In fact, Casey, we should probably do, uh, you know, now that Fizben's Treasury of Dragons is out, it's been out for a while, it'd be great to just, like, do a whole one on that book because it's it's just chock-a-block dragons. It's floor-to-ceiling dragons. You open the cover, look at that, more dragons inside there. They're everywhere. Uh, but until we do that, for Draconic Bloodline, basically you pick someone who in your family tree was straight up a dragon. Not a dragonborn, just like a real life massive death machine of questionable alignment dragon uh and when you create your character you choose what kind of dragon that was uh, in the player's handbook uh there's only options here from the chromatic and the metallics uh so um chromatics being the good guys uh and metallics being the bad guys traditionally speaking um and the mechanical reason here basically is that when you choose what kind of dragon it was, you get to choose a damage type associated with their breath weapon. So like black dragons are do acid, a red dragon does fire, a white dragon does cold, a blue dragon does lightning, and so on and so forth. And uh, what that does is it basically gives you resistance to that kind of damage because of the dragon blood coursing through your veins. Hey, it's me, Jason from the future. I'm wrong here. Don't worry, I'll catch myself. Um, gives you an automatic resistance. And this will stack with anything else. Like say you pick blue dragon and you now have resistance to lightning. But if you also chose tiefling, you also have resistance to fire. So now you've got two resistances for two different kinds of damage types. So that's kind of fun. Um, but uh, it also lets you read, speak, and write Draconic, uh, which is awesome that you could just be born knowing, knowing how to write a language. Like, I kind of envy that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so you're a dwarf, but you just know how to speak, read, and write Draconic. That's neat. Magic in your blood. How convenient. Um, and when you uh, make a charisma check with dealing with dragons, your proficiency bonus is doubled to that check because you know, the affinity there. Uh, the other nice thing is that um, it makes you tougher. At first level, your hit point maximum increases by one and increases by another one every time you gain a level. So basically you get an inherent plus one to your hit point maximum per level which is on top of whatever your constitution bonus is, mm -hmm. which is on top of anything like the tough feat or something like uh, Dwarven Resilience, which also adds to it. So there's a lot of things here that could really boost your HP, which is kind of really nice. It also gives you some natural armor um, that you have a thin sheen of dragon-like scales. Uh, hopefully, you know, make, help you pass as, as a the a native member of your own race or maybe gives you a little bit of a flair but when you aren't wearing armor your ac is 13 plus dexterity mod when you are wearing armor when you aren't that, when i you know aren't. but when you are do you so, lose that yes so the reason for that is and this is in chapter one of the player's handbook and i'm glad you brought it up because you can only use one armor class calculation at a time so if you're wearing armor, but you have something else that could do that, you can choose between the two, as long as it doesn't say something like when you aren't wearing armor. 
So you can only pick one uh, calculation. So that's part of why they say when you aren't wearing armors, you don't get mixed up thinking, well, my base AC is 13, and then I put on studded uh, leather, so that's plus two, plus my dexterity, that doesn't work that way. Either pick your natural armor calculation or pick your armor calculation, or if you're a monk, pick your unarmored calculation, but choose one and that's what you're gonna use. Right, and then that, that I mean, will just require some looking at like the, the different bonuses you get from armor mm -hmm. and like which level of armor is it actually worth your while and are you even proficient yes. to be able to wear it at that point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, which is really great because there's a good reason to make for most sorcerers because of stuff like this, especially Draconic Bloodline, uh, to make your constitution or your dexterity your secondary ability that you want to kind of keep at a good, you know, level because of things like your armor class and hit points where you could end up being a pretty beefy, pretty hard to hit full caster, uh, which in the arcane side of things isn't that common. So that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. um, and then later at level six, uh, you get an affinity with that damage type that you picked way back at the beginning. Um, basically, um, you can... Uh, uh, you can add your charisma modifier to one damage roll uh, for a spell that kind of does that damage. Also, you can spend one sorcery point to gain resistance to that damage type for one hour. Oh, that's handy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's nice. Um, wait a second. Interesting. So I got confused earlier because they have changed things. That was just me being wrong. So when you choose your Draconic Ancestor, you don't get resistance automatically. It's something that you can spend a sorcery point for later when you get to level six. I just had that wrong. Okay, so it's still accessible, but it's not just an all the time perk. Yeah, it's not a passive thing. At 14th level, uh, you can also sprout dragon wings from your back, which is kind of fun. Um, it's a bonus action. Uh, and they last until you dismiss them or uh, on a bonus action on your turn. And you can't use them if, unless you're wearing armor. And um, it, sorry, you can't use them if you're using armor. And it gives you a fly speed equal to your current speed. But there's no duration. You can just, they last until you dismiss them. So you can just have wings now if you want. They don't make you faster, they just give you more options. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's not limited either. It's not like you can only do this once nope. per long rest. I mean, you could do it as often as you wanted, it looks like. Yeah, exactly. And as a DM, if I had a player who wanted to make their wings sprout as part of an intimidation role uh, in game, they would get advantage at my table because that's awesome. Uh, and then the last thing you get with your Draconic Bloodline is going to be at level 18, right? right. Your Draconic Presence. Yes, you can channel the dread presence of Speaking a dragon. Speaking of being yeah. a little bit intimidating. Pretty much. As an action, you can spend five sorcery points to do this. And so you can uh, exude an aura of fear or awe, your choice within 60 feet for a minute or until you lose concentration, uh, like concentrating on a spell. Uh, any hostile creature that starts this turn within 60 feet of you, they have to make a wisdom save, use your normal save calculation for that, and they can either be charmed for awe or frightened for fear. 
until the aura ends. And if they make the save, then they're immune to the aura for 24 hours. So that's kind of nice. Uh, you can, you know, I, I love the mental image of, of doing this as an action, part of the intimidation, the wings sprout, you know, and you just go ham. Uh, so I think that's kind of fun. But yeah, that's it for the Draconic Bloodline. And then the other one in the player's handbook is the wild magic, which a lot of people, if you like wild magic sorcerers, you really like wild magic sorcerers because it's just pure chaos. Um, it's just pure chaos. Basic, if you like rolling dice, wild mm -hmm. magic is your thing. If you got a D20, a, Gen, a D100 at Gen Con or something, and you've been dying to use it, this is the class for you. Um, basically, your sorceress origin is uh, some creature from like the elemental planes or the far realm or limbo, just, just a place with no system of physics to govern the laws of that part of the universe. Uh, this is where this comes from. Its biggest thing that everyone kind of knows is simply this, is that um, after you cast a sorcerer spell of level one or higher, the DM can have you, they don't have to, but they can have you roll a d20. Um, uh, if you roll a one, uh, you roll on the magical effects table, uh, the wild magic surge table, and uh, it'll that's what happens. Uh, so it's there's only a 5% chance of it happening, but when it happens, man, does it happen. Um, do you have any favorites on this list, Casey? Um, I mean, favorites is a strong word because, like, memorable casting selections. fireball yes. at third level on yourself centered on yourself as a side effect mm -hmm. i think is brilliant but as a player i would be terrified of this and you know and like some of these it's not even like you can premeditate and be like okay well i'm definitely only gonna play a uh tiefling sorcerer so i have resistance just in case because there's so many different options in here that that there's no way that you could kind of like armor yourself against some yeah. of the bad things that are in here. Some of them are good. Yeah. There's some ridiculous oh, ones in here. Yeah. <laughs> some really funny ones, kind of like the Wand of Wonder, right? Um, but uh, on a 17 or 18, I love this one. You grow a long beard made of feathers that remains until you sneeze, at which point the feathers explode out from your face, which is some straight up Looney Tune stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be fun with an Eric Roca. Um, you cast Grease centered on yourself. Okay. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> for the next uh, minute, so, you yeah. must shout when you speak. <laughs> That'd be fun for role playing. Uh, but some of them in here too are like 39 to 40. You regain 2d10 hit points. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is good and bad. You have the opportunity that you could get healed by casting magic. Yeah. Or a 99 to 100, you regain all expended sorcery points. Mm hmm nice yeah so there's some really powerful really problematic and really funny things on this table but yeah yeah and that's I all mean, level one honestly just even as a dm this is a great table to look at for inspiration on anything even just like random curses yes. for your party um if you just want to add some levity potentially to the situation some of these are just fabulous so no matter if you're playing a sorcerer or not go look at this table because it will entertain you Absolutely. Uh, also, too, you have Tides of Chaos. Um, 
basically you can just cho- uh, you can choose to gain advantage on an attack roll ability check or saving throw, but only uh, once per long rest. Um, and also it might trigger a wild magic surge. Um, level six, uh, you can twist fate. When another creature you see makes a attack roll ability check or saving throw, you can use reaction, spend two sorcery points and roll a D4 and apply the number as a bonus or penalty to that creature's roll. So you can help your friends or hurt your enemies. Um, and you do that before you know if they succeed or fail. Uh, controlled Chaos, which is an oxymoron at level 14. Um, whenever you roll the Wild Magic Surge, you can roll twice and use either number. So you have advantage on the Chaos. And then level 18, you have Spell Bombardment. Um, basically, when you roll damage for a spell and roll the highest number of possible on any of the dice, uh, choose one of those dice, roll it again, and add that roll to the damage. And you can only use it once per turn. Uh, so basically, say you're going to roll Fireball, and it's 8d6, and two of them, um, we've got a 6. We'll grab one of those, roll it again, and it might get another 6, and you just kind of add that to the total. So you end up basically rolling 9d6 instead of 8d6 for a third-level spell is kind of yeah, where you see that power surge. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that overcharge thing that they can do, that wizards can do, yeah. So what are some situations that you, as a DM, would implement the role on a wild table magic or wild magic surge? Um, a wild magic surge. Um, so I like that it says the DM may require you, which is nice because if the DM forgets you're supposed to do this, it's nice because like, oh, I didn't think it was important. You can kind of cover because you've got too much stuff to think about. Um, but also, too, whenever you have these players that have these really intense like moments, especially in combat, where it's really emotionally charged or they are figuring out some kind of off-label use of a spell or they're being really clever, like those really epic moments, I think also I would say, and I need you to roll on a, a D20 uh or just tell them straight up, yeah, that was the craziest thing, most powerful thing you've ever done with a spell, but I'm going to need you to roll on the Wild Magic Surge table. And they're like, Interesting. Oh. So you'd use it if they see, I was going to, I was thinking you were going to say that you would, you would avoid using it if they were doing something that was really inspired or really cool as like a bonus, be like, you don't have to worry about like literally shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Because but that you did something all- neat. Right, but that option's always there. But you got to remember the wild magic surge table is neither good nor bad. It just is. It's chaos, and it's chaos can be table. fun. It is. It's it really good nor is. Bad until you roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And so, it for me, I don't see that as being like you know punitive to have them do that, but rather to be true to their character when they are like, just go all out and they used all their sorcery points in this one turn and changes the entire tide to save their sister who they thought was dead. And then they push themselves too hard. The emotionally charged nature of the situation was so heightened that they don't have as tight a control on this wellspring inside them. And so I think narratively speaking, it's really interesting to have something like that trigger the wild magic surge table um, because it leans into the subclass that they chose to play and it could be make it something even better, make something complicated or just funny. 
you know. Yeah. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. And I would be remiss, Casey, I'm so sorry, to not point out option 42 on the Wild Magic Surge table, which says, you turn into a potted plant until the start of your next turn. Wild plant, you are incapacitated and have vulnerability to all damage. If you drop to zero hit points, your pot breaks and your form reverts. <laughs> there is, yeah. So I want to say, if you know, you know, but Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for that. So that let's explore some of the other sorceress origins right there's a couple more the next ones that i'd like to talk about are in tasha's uh cauldron of everything there's two different there's two more specifically yeah. in that source material um yeah. and with these i think your I'll... mind yeah and sorry your clockwork soul. yeah aberrant clockwork mind clockwork soul. soul clockwork soul which is fun a lot of fun it's kind of the opposite of wild magic surge so with these, what I want to do is give you like the thematic overview and maybe highlight one or two really particularly uh, important or interesting features uh, to make this kind of go a little more streamlined. But Aberrant Mind basically leans into the psionics or, you know, telepathy, uh, telekinesis, like the mind powers of things. And there are stuff in D&D like Mind Flayers and others that use psionic power that usually come from like the far realms or these places way outside uh, in the kind of really creepy and weird corners of the multiverse. So Aberrant Mind is really mental stuff. So you get psionic Professor spells. X. Yeah, very much. Um, but but you get some, uh, you learn more spells. Your spell list kind of gets bigger because they um, kind of reflect some more of those mind spell kinds of things called psionic spells. Uh, it counts as a sorcerer spell for you, but doesn't count against the number of sorcerer spells you know. So you just always know these. It's like a cleric having a certain domain spell always prepared. Um, and uh, it gives you more options for that kind of stuff. It also gives you um, something at first level called telepathic speech where you can speak telepathically uh between you and one other person as a bonus action you can choose who it is within 30 feet you can talk with each other um as long as you're you're within a number of miles equal to your charisma modifier so a minimum of one mile which i think is the longest range telepathy in the game if i'm not mistaken because uh, there's some things like uh, some warlocks and the ghostwise halflings, uh, they can do things like uh, telepathy, but it's always within like, you know, 30 or 60 feet. But mm -hmm. this is like measured in miles, which is buck wild. Um, but you do have to share a language. Some of them you don't have to, this one you do. Um, and uh, it lasts for several minutes and gets broken if you die or are incapacitated. Fair. Yeah, fair. There. Yeah. <laughs> if you're knocked out, you ain't concentrating. Yeah. Um, later on at sixth level, you can gain resistance to psychic damage, which is really great and advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened, which is super powerful. Um, and they're kind of a capstone level uh, ability at level 18 is called warping implosion. So, um, you know, think a black hole or a imploding a white dwarf star. Uh, basically, you are you're able to yeah make a space warping anomaly. 
Um, as an action, you can teleport to an unoccupied space. You can see within 120 feet, that's pretty good. And immediately after you disappear, each creature within 30 feet of where you've left has to make a strength saving throw. If they fail, they take 3d10 force damage and is pulled straight towards the space you left. Um, and if they save like half as much damage and they aren't pulled, uh, you can do that uh, once per long rest unless you want to spend five surgery points to do it again. So basically you warp space on your way out of the situation, pulling everyone in to like three Stooges style, clunk their heads together and take 3d10 uh, damage, uh, force damage, which is kind of fun. Um and then Clockwork Soul is a lot of fun. I've, I've played uh, a Clockwork Soul Sorcerer before, uh, along with a uh, Divination Wizard uh, combo that was actually a Halfling as well. Uh, I'm not sorry. And um, they're the kind of the opposite of the Wild Magic Surge. What they are is they kind of are in tune with the plane of Mechanis, you know, the where the Modrons and all the clockwork thing runs according to time kind of stuff. And so they get extra spells um, and some other kind of like flavor things. But basically at first level, they have something called Restore the Balance. Uh, when, you, when a creature you can see within 60 feet of you is about to roll a d20 with advantage or disadvantage, you can use your reaction to negate advantage or disadvantage. So oh, if wow. an enemy has advantage and they're about to attack someone like or you, you can just go, no, you don't. And it becomes a normal roll. Or if a friend of yours has disadvantage on a roll because they're in a weird, awkward situation or they're under the frightened condition or something, you can just negate that disadvantage for that roll. Um, and you can do it a number of times, you go to your proficiency bonus and you get them all back at the end of a long rest, which is kind of fun. Um, they also have some cool things. Um, where you can kind of protect some people with the bastion of law, uh, put a, a magical ward around you and others, um, uh, trance of order. Uh, you can align your consciousness to the endless calculations of Mechanis. As a bonus action, you enter a state for one minute during the duration. Attack rolls against you can't benefit from advantage. And whenever you make an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can treat a roll of nine or lower as a 10. And then you add any bonuses you had. Mm. Yes. So you're just that like. is yeah. almost a guaranteed success in normal situations. Yeah. And it's at 14th level. So the bonuses should be pretty significant. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. Uh, and you can only do it. You can do it as a bonus action once and once per long rest or spend five social points to do it again. And then my favorite named ability at 18th level is called the Clockwork Cavalcade. Uh, which I have to say slowly so I don't mess it up. Um, <laughs> That's a good D&D &D, uh, tongue twister there. It is. Um, basically, as an action, you can summon spirits around you, like spirit guardians, They're like Modrons or other constructs of your choice. Uh, they're intangible and vulnerable, which I love that we have to put both of those words to get the effect we want. Uh, they create the following effect. Um, they uh, can restore up to 100 hit points divided among as many number of creatures you choose inside the 30-foot the cube. Any damaged objects uh, are repaired instantly, and every spell of 6th level or lower uh, ends on a creature or objects of your choice in the cube. Wow. So you just restore things back to their natural state, to their normal state. It's like 
you're seeing the cosmic scales unbalanced and for a, in a 30 foot cube, you balance them. People who are injured are healed. Things that are broken are fixed. Spells that are changing the nature of something are restored to the normal state, which is awesome. And it's the action per long rest, or you can spend seven sorcery points to use it again. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Let's, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be hard and hard, kind of hard to top some of these, but let's move on with some more origins in a different um, source book. Now let's move over to Xanathar's, which it has two as well. It's got divine soul, more soul stuff and shadow magic, which by the name, I'm especially curious about. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also want to unpack the singular subclass from our favorite source book, Sword Coast, Coast Adventurer's Adventure Guide. Guide. Uh, which is Storm Sorcerer. Yeah. Now you say that the Clockwork Soul seems hard to top, but allow me to introduce you to the Divine Soul. Because the most important thing that the Divine Soul lets you do, by the way, at level one, it allows you to learn spells from the Cleric class. This is It opens a... up an entire another class for you. Yes. A wow. prime class too. A full caster class in a different domain so when you can learn or replace a sorcerer cantrip or sorcerer spell you can choose the new spell from the cleric spell list or from the sorcerer spell list it doesn't replace it it just adds to it that's going to be something like i haven't done the math but i'm going to guess around 80 percent of the spells in the game that's wow. nuts absolutely nuts all of the other restrictions you have to adhere by but yeah so you can become the main healer and damage dealer or blaster for your party all in one class, which is wild. Um, and then you also get to choose uh, the nature of that divine ancestor, I suppose, of good, evil, law, or chaos. And you can learn a new spell based on that. Um, and it doesn't count against your number of spells. So it's just a bonus spell you get to know always. So the options from good, evil, law, chaos, and neutral is cure wounds, inflict wounds, bless, bane, or protection from good and evil. Um, so you just get a free in cure wounds or inflict wounds at level one, which is wild because they're both great spells for different reasons. Also at first level, uh-huh, um, if you fail a saving throw or miss with an attack roll, you can roll 2d4, take that bards, and add it to the total, possibly changing the outcome. Once you use it, you can't get it back until you finish a short or long rest. Short rest, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was long rest, but it's just a short rest, too, which, I mean, that, that, yeah. It's really great. Mm -hmm. And then at sixth level, yes, there's more. Uh, you have empowered healing. The divine energy coursing through you empowers your healing spells, which you have now have access to. So whenever you uh, you heal yourself or an ally uh, within five feet of you, uh, and you roll dice to determine how many hit points the spell restores, you can spend one sorcery's point to re-roll any number of those dice once. And you can only use it one use it once per turn. Not short rest, not day. As long as you've got a sorcery point, you can reroll any number of those dice and use the new result. 
So if you're going to do a big healing spell and there's a lot of ones and twos, spend a sorcery point. Reroll all those ones and twos. Because they can't get any worse. <laughs> they can't get any worse. All they can do is stay the same or get better. Exactly. Um, they also get otherworldly wings where they can make spectral wings that let them fly uh, 30 feet um, for a bonus action, kind of like we saw with the dragon, uh, the, the uh, draconic bloodline, and then their capstone uh, ability, unearthly recovery at level 18. Uh, as a bonus action, when you have fewer than half of your maximum hit points, you can regain a number of hit points equal to half your maximum uh, hit points. So you can only do it once per long rest. Okay, here's how this works. Um, so if you have 80 hit points maximum and you're at 40, as a bonus action, you can gain half of your maximum, which is 40. And now you're back at 80. Okay. It, for some but, reason, I was thinking it was half of half, half of your maximum. Right. So it was but a if you're but at 10 just... hit points, you can gain back 40 hit 40. points. So it's your max, half of your max always, as long as you are below half your max is how that works, which is pretty beefy. That's That could be really yeah. big. And it's not a spell. It's a bonus action. Then you use your whole action and... If you're the party's main healer, you staying up and alive is really important. So mm -hmm. this helps you do that, which is awesome. Yeah, we're on a roll here. These just kind of keep getting cooler and cooler. They do. Yeah, Xanathar's was really great. Um, uh, so then we also have shadow magic. Uh, this is like basically your origin comes from like the shadow fell, the kind of uh, the upside down, if you will, if you like Stranger Things. Uh, basically, um, uh, what it does, it gives you dark vision at third level. You learn the darkness spell, which doesn't count against the spells, you know, uh, and you can also can spend, uh, cast it by spending two sorcery points, um, as well, uh, strength of the grave level one, uh, basically you get, um, relentless endurance, like a barbarian or a half orc. Basically, uh, when something would take you to zero hit points, uh, damage reduces you to zero hit points, you can make a charisma saving throw of five plus the damage taken, and that's the DC. And if you succeed, you drop to one hit point instead. And um, But it won't work if it was radiant damage or critical hit damage. Um, and then you can only use it once per long rest. So you have like this ability to just like reject the grave uh, potentially, uh, if you're going to get uh, bumped down. Uh, at level six, you can basically summon a uh, an evil hound, the Hound of Ill Omen, uh, kind of like you're summoning a mount as a paladin, which is kind of fun. Um, you get Shadow Walk at level 14, where you can step into one sh shadow and pop out the other. Um, it's a bonus action. You can do it up to 120 feet. And um, that's it. No other restriction as long as you're in dim or uh, dim light or darkness, uh, which you can see in. Uh, and then umbral form at 18 is the capstone. You can spend six sorcery points as a bonus action to magically transform yourself into a shadowy form. You gain resistance to all damage except force and radiant. You can move through other creatures and objects as though they were difficult terrain. You take five force damage if you end the turn inside an object. It doesn't say creature, but I would say probably creature too. Um, and uh, you can stay in the form for up to a minute. 
uh, unless you get incapacitated, you die, or you dismiss it as a bonus action. It's cool, but it's not as beefy as some of the other ones we've seen, but it's still really, really neat. Yeah, uh, it's a good, like, yeah. defense spell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that's the um, shadow magic. It's pretty neat, but there's some other, I think, better shadow-based things, like the shadow monk is really great uh, in that regard. Uh, but you could really be cool if you add, as your race, the shatter kai, which is a subclass, a sub uh, sub race of elf um, that you can see in DD Beyond that are elves from the Shadowfell that also can kind of tr turn translucency and resistance to damage mm. and teleport places, uh, which is kind of fun. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so there's one left on our list. We saved, I don't want to say the best for last, but the favorite for last, yes. just because it's from our favorite Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, which is Storm Sorcerer. <laughs> Storm Sorcerer is just straightforward and a lot of fun. Um, like maybe your origin is from, you know, uh, a, a wind elemental or a genie or something. Um, I forget which one the, uh, what it's called when it's the uh, wind ones, but uh, basically you can uh, uh, speak, read, write primordial, which is a lot of fun. Um, and you can be understood by those who speak dialects of primordial, like Aquan, Auron, Ignan, and Terran which is a great feature of Primordial. Um, you can also at first level use a bonus action to have gusts of wind fly around you. So as long as you've just cast a first level spell or higher, it allows you to, uh, as a bonus action, fly to 10 feet um, in any direction and you don't provoke opportunity attacks. So it's a great you know, get out of jail free oh, wow. card. Yeah. yeah. Um, at sixth level, you become resistant to lightning and thunder damage because thunderbolts and lightning are very, very frightening. In addition, <laughs> whenever you start casting a spell, a first level or higher that deals lightning or thunder damage, a stormy aura um, uh, emits from you and, uh, and can uh, hit a creature within 10 feet and they take lightning or thunder damage uh, you choose each time equal to half your sorcerer level. So it's a little bonus oomph whenever you're kind of playing true to your origin, which is kind of nice. And that's a sixth level. Also at sixth, um, you can kind of have limited control over the weather, which is kind of fun. Storm's Fury at level 14. Uh, when you get hit by a melee attack, you can use a reaction to deal lightning damage to the attacker. So kind of a hellish rebuke situation from the tiefling. Um, and the damage equals your sorcerer level. So at least 14. Um, and they have to make a strength saving throw, uh, and if they fail, they're pushed in a straight line um, 20 feet away from you. And then their capstone is the Wind Soul at 18th level. You gain immunity to lightning and thunder damage. Immunity. There's only a few things that'll get past this, which is kind of wild. Elemental Adept is one, I think. Um, you gain a magical flying speed of 60 feet. As an action, you can reduce your flying speed to 30 for an hour and choose a number of creatures within 30 feet of you equal to three plus your charisma modifier. And they can also fly with you for that hour for 30 feet. Um, so you can take your whole party and just fly away. Uh, once you reduce your flying speed in this way, you can't do so again until you finish a short or long rest, but that has no bearing on your ability to fly for 60 feet a turn um, and your immunity to lightning and thunder damage. Those are always on. That yeah, is kind of cool. storm from the X Men. 
Yeah, basically. Almost exactly. Basically, yeah. It's pretty rad. It's it's not the most powerful thing I've ever seen, but it's just really straightforward and fun. It does one thing, it does it really well, and the role play opportunities on this one is just yeah. a lot of fun. I love this. Yeah, I think the like you said, the the chance there for um descriptions and some other things about like you know describe what's happening describe what you're doing uh could just be really really neat as they're talking about these clouds that just come up underneath of everybody and pick mm-hmm. them up and carry them somewhere or <laughs> like they're goku from dragon ball z yeah, yeah basically i love it yeah so that's the uh the sorcerer class and all the subclasses in a nutshell If you don't have enough dice to make it through your game after every single set gets put in dice jail, make sure you check out the Critical Dice and their endless bag of dice. You can get a new set of dice delivered to your doorstep every single month for as low as seven bucks a month. Compendium listeners can actually also get a special offer by using the code Compendium, C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, for 50% off of your first month of dice. Just go to thecriticaldice.com and use that code at checkout. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would really help us out if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. The Compendium is also on Patreon. So if you like listening, that is a great way to help contribute to the content that we create. New episodes are available every Tuesday and Friday or Monday and Thursday if you're a patron. And you can always keep up with us between episodes by following us on social media. Just look up the compendium, that's C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Jason also shares a bunch of great content and plot hooks on his page, The Critical Dice, so make sure that you check him out and follow him as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you guys next time.